This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking. And this time, this episode, is about our annual-ish, paranormal-ish road trip. In the past, we've gone to Bigfoot conventions and Point Pleasant and uh, that one place in Kentucky – with the goblins. Hopkinsville. Hopkinsville. Uh, couldn't remember it for a second there. So we've, we've done a number of these in the past and, and documented them in some way on the show. Uh, this year, I decided to go to Missouri. There's a number of interesting things in Missouri, and I wanted to sort of soak up the atmosphere of where these things happened. And there was something I'd been wanting to do for a while, and that is find the location of Buck Nelson's ranch, where he held all of those flying saucer conventions over the years. And uh, I know other people have been there, and I probably could have just said, hey, could you you know, tell me where it is? But I wanted to find out myself, and I wanted to uh, sort of figure that out, just a little little bit of, of fun work in that way. So this episode is about that trip and the things I learned and the things I discovered and the things I now have even more questions about. And before we get into everything, I just want to point out that, yes, my voice is a little weird. Um, it's uh, it's spring, so that means an epic sinus infection, which has wrecked my voice. So um, we'll see we'll see how long uh, it holds out. I've waited until it's in the best condition possible before uh, before recording. So hopefully it holds up. So why Missouri? Well, like I said, I wanted to track down Buck Nelson's ranch, which is the sort of thing I I tend to do on these road trips. My wife doesn't come along. I I invite her all the time, but but she points out that my road trips are basically driving 10 hours, getting out of the car, looking at a field, getting back in the car and driving home, which is actually pretty accurate. But the fields are important. They're places where UFO conventions happened or battles in the American Revolution or the Civil War or a a place where a house used to be that somebody important lived in. So they're not just fields. They're interesting fields. So besides Buck Nelson's um, ranch, I wanted to also explore the locations of some events like the uh, 1973 mass UFO sighting in Piedmont, Missouri, which we'll talk about a little bit. I wanted to go to Cape Girardeau, where um, the Mississippi River is, which is silly. I've seen it many, many times. But there was a supposedly a UFO crash in Cape Girardeau back in the 1940s. And on top of all that, there's an area called the Marley Woods, which is full of strange, strange things happening. It's been called the Skinwalker Ranch of the Ozarks, which is not anything I think you should call an area that you want people to, you know, take seriously. But, you know, it, it's what with all the the cable TV shows and and things like that. So there's a lot going on 
in Missouri, and it's it's a reasonable driving distance. And none of my destinations were more than about eleven hours from my house, which is you know in in terms of the the Midwest, you know, an easy drive. So looking at this search for Buck Nelson's place, uh, the, the first thing I wanted to do was was sort of figure out what kind of address had been given for anything. All the ads I had ever seen said things like Northwest of Mountain View or Route 1, Mountain View, Missouri. So I, I went looking at, uh, at Mountain View, at the Mountain View region in, I think, Howell County it was, and um, it, trying to figure out equivalent areas of which rural routes, uh, of how rural, rural routes had been renamed as we go to sort of road addresses in rural areas in the last last several decades. And um, then in all my searches, I, I realized that um, maybe there was a map someplace. And for some reason, this stuck in my head. So I Googled Buck Nelson convention map or something like that. I can't remember what I Googled. But what came up was an entry at the State Historical Society of Missouri. And on their website, they listed that they had a folder, a Buck Nelson folder, with some articles and a souvenir convention booklet, a program basically, from the 1960 uh, flying saucer convention in Missouri. And included in this, it said, was a map to Buck's place or map to Buck's ranch. So I thought this is this is outstanding. This is what I need. Even if the map is out of date, even if it's sort of vague and crudely drawn, you know, it might get me, it might get me a little bit closer. And so I looked into the possibility of seeing this program. And I, I could have paid money to have them scan it for me, but it seemed more efficient to drive to Missouri. So I, I found that the um, the actual folder was located at the research center in Rolla, Missouri, which is about an hour and a half or so west of St. Louis. And so I made an appointment for a Tuesday morning in mid-May to go down and visit this research center and look at the booklet and hopefully get my hands on the map to Buck's place. Of course, first, I had to get there. So it was a very long drive on the Monday of that travel week that I went from home in Michigan to Rolla, Missouri. So that ended up, with stops and everything, being a about 12, 12 and a half hours, although 45 minutes of that was spent at Who North America in Camby, Indiana, just southwest of Indianapolis. This is the, the most amazing store that focuses almost entirely on Doctor Who, books, magazines, media, merchandise, all of it. I had been wanting to go there for a very long time. So it was very nice to be able to spend some time and not as much money as, as I could have spent at, uh, at such a place. But I arrived in Rolla around 6 p.m., had some 
dinner and got a good night's sleep after uh, providing an update to the folks on Patreon about my uh, my journeys. And my goal was to be at the State Historical Society of Missouri Research Center around 9 a.m. when they opened. So that I wanted to get a nice early start on the day. So the State Historical Society, their research center in Rolla is uh, is located on the campus of the Missouri University of Science and Technology. So I rolled up there bright and early on a cloudy, rainy, dreary day. And this is an excerpt from my uh, from my sort of audio journal as I tried to find my way around the campus. Walking around the campus, the thing that strikes me more than anything else is that um, I might be lost. Although I can see from through the windows in front of me uh, that there's a building very near me where there are books on shelves, which might be the library. Of course, my office on campus has books on shelves, so that doesn't mean really anything. I see an electrical engineering building, which could be convenient if I need to engineer anything electrical, but um, I should probably focus on finding the library at, uh, at this point. This is one of those campuses where everything seems very architecturally the same, which is a little um, disconcerting. I went to a college like that, and uh, for the first few weeks, you're you know walking into the wrong building because everything is brick. Okay, this is a library. I see that there are yeah, it's, it's a library. After a while, you start to recognize that sort of thing when you're somebody who goes to a lot of libraries. Also, people seem to be really sort of calm with the fact that I'm apparently talking to myself. I made my way inside and down to the basement where I discovered that the research center was a very cool sort of room office complex in the basement of the library. Love a dark, empty library basement. It is the best environment ever for, you know, all sorts of all sorts of of, of things. You feel like you're up to something when you're in a dimly lit library basement. So I introduced myself to the uh, to the the coordinator there who uh, name was Kathleen and she was expecting me. And she had the folder with uh, not only the the program booklet from Buck's um 1960 convention, but also uh, basically all the biographical information they had been able to gather about Buck Nelson as they try to get a picture of him as far as connections to other people in Missouri and and things like that. So I was able to sit down with this booklet and uh, and, and go through it, and it really is a um, an interesting fun document, very much of its time. If you've heard our episode about Buck Nelson you will sort of know the sort of thing when you hear it. The cover is sort of a darkish yellow with a orangey red flying pair of flying saucers on it. And it is titled souvenir of Buck's spacecraft convention by Buck Nelson. And the title page, um, it's, it's, it's glorious in this sort of script font. It says, are space visitors really here? And then in, in block capitals, yes, attend the convention here and get the facts. And then following that title page on the facing page, there is the map to help you find my place, which was put together a map put together by John Dean of Nickerson, Kansas. We've got a John Dean episode coming up in our, uh, in our future. But this map is, is interesting. It's, it's, 
uh, as I would find, not entirely to, uh, to, to scale, although not bad. But it shows that Buck's Place is, is actually in Texas County, uh, not Howell County, even though he used a Mountain View address, it was in a different county, which um, made my attempts to find the place kind of not incredibly uh, incredibly useful but I saw that I would have to get on uh, that I would have to get on um, highway 60 and take that to to Missouri Road NN take that north and then I would find Buck's place if I reach Mount Olive Church I've gone too far and should turn back and indeed must turn back because it appears to be a dead end so I had the map and that's what I came for. But it seemed a waste not to go through the rest of the program book and all the other materials. And I am so glad I did because there was some really interesting stuff that got me thinking, that got me searching, that got me questioning a lot of things that I hadn't really thought to question before. So going through the the program book, it begins with both a dedication and an acknowledgement. Dedication. I dedicate this book to our space brothers from other planets and to the many people that have made contact with them. Acknowledgement. I wish to express my deep appreciation and thanks to all those whose encouragement and help has helped make these conventions possible. To the many speakers, clerks that so willingly helped in my concession stand, concessions that have come here, and even some coming from both coasts to serve the public, and all the other persons doing their bit, so willing to assist me. I give my thanks. Buck Nelson, 1960. We then get a forward that, uh, once again, thanks everybody who's who's helped out with the convention over the years. And also thanks a guy named Bob Young of Waterloo, Iowa, who authored and published a, a booklet called Flying Saucers R. Period. Flying Saucers R. So that that's, I mean, nice and philosophical. I have not found any mention of flying saucers are anywhere. I just went through uh, George Eberhardt's massive, massive bibliography of UFO and contactee related works and didn't find it. It's possible I might have um, overlooked it. But if you're aware of Bob Young and flying saucers are – uh, please get in touch. Buck also notes in this forward that future conventions will be held every year on the last Saturday, Sunday, and Monday of June. And um, when I mentioned Buck Nelson on Twitter, um, a Twitter follower, I can't remember who, um, or maybe the, the, the May Patreon bonus episode was about Buck Nelson and newspaper stories about his uh, convention. And, and somebody on, on on Patreon or the Twitter mentioned that um, the last – the last weekend in June should be a, a sort of UFO get together. There should be some sort of outdoor UFO event in honor of Buck Nelson and his, uh, and his conventions. Now, the bulk of the convention booklet is made up of articles taken from other places or things people have written for Buck for this. One, uh, so the first major chunk is a report on the 1958 convention by a guy named Luther Rowlett of Eminence, Missouri, which is not too far from uh, where the uh, the conventions took place. And what I find interesting about Buck's introduction to this article is he describes Luther as, quote, 
Luther is a good swimmer and diver and has served as a lifeguard and teacher teaching children and adults to swim. Luther thinks the ocean should be explored as well as the heavens, as it contains many secrets not known to man and could very well prove valuable. He may have something there, end quote. So this was an article written for the Eminence, Missouri Current Wave, a newspaper that is still being published. And this article is from July 10th, 1958. And in this article, the author, Luther Rowlett, refers to himself in the third person, which I find um, a bit interesting. But he gives a rundown of various speakers and, and people who have um, you know stories about aliens or just theories and ideas about aliens. But then he, at the end, this third person sort of way that Luther Rowlett's talking is, is very strange and he sort of – inserts himself into the narrative, it's very strange. But a, a good kind of strange, you know? Like all the stuff we like on this show. There was quite a crowd at Nelson's farm for the saucer convention, held annually the last Saturday and Sunday of June. Luther Rowlett was present. Nelson's claim to Luther's friendship was through some magazines Nelson gave Rowlett, which had some desired articles on the technicality of diving and salvaging lost articles in water, which were quite useful to the current river diver. Rowlett remarked at the spacecraft picnic, his water-blue eyes twinkling, Buck might have got higher above the earth than anyone in the Ozarks, but I've been in the water deeper than anyone else, so that makes us denizens of different worlds. The ocean is my unknown jungle world. Anyhow, I'm not expecting to get out of this world alive, but spaceflight in the future is a sure thing. There's a little bit out there on the internet about Luther Rowlett, and one thing that I found was in the State Historical Society of Missouri. In the personal papers of William Aiden Elmer French, uh, there is a file that has an unpublished manuscript written by Luther Rowlett about the activities of the brothers, famous brothers, Frank and Jesse James, in Eminence, Missouri, in September of 1881, when they posed as cattle buyers. Lots of background on the Civil War in the county. Um, so Rowlett was a, a local historian. He also was a swimmer, as was pointed out. And in a Facebook group called Shannon County, Missouri History, Landmarks and Vintage Photography, I found a photo posted by a man named Jackson Lloyd that said, Float Rock Swimming Hole on Jack's Fork River, 1958. There is a, a, a one of the pictures is just the surface of the water with some feet sticking up and uh, the caption says, Luther Rowlett's ankles, best guess. And in the comments, one person says they remember being taught to swim by Luther Rowlett and they were happy to see a mention of him. So it, never let it be said that on The Saucer Life, we don't delve into whatever we can find on people who are entirely tangential to whatever we are talking about. We, uh, we've got that going for us in any case. All right, moving along. There are some photos um, that I, I didn't get copies, good copies of, but they were, they were good. They were interesting. Um, various people at the convention, a concession stand, somebody described as an Indian chief, uh, Frank Standing Horse, uh, who would be doing his own UFO convention in Oklahoma near Tulsa um, later the next year. So then we get Buck sort of talking about his convention and his plans for the future. 
Every year at my convention grounds, there will be new buildings to be built, remodeling, etc. This is not a profit-making venture, so all this must be done with your free will offerings by those who wish to help in this work. Even tools of all kind are needed, power tools, chainsaw, as my place is in timber. If duplication of tools are sent in here, that's okay, as they can be exchanged and traded. So don't worry about what tools are needed here. Send in all your tools laying around and perhaps discard it. We can use them here and we'll be glad to get them. The Carl Rebiesel Sawmill at Willow Springs sent me a load of much-needed lumber, about 1,500 feet, to help on buildings at one convention. The next year, about 1,000 feet of building lumber was donated again, so many thanks to you folks. We are planning a camp here. In fact, it has started. A place where saucer people can come and camp and spend the summer, and be here in the last dark days in time of need. This will require your prayers and your love offerings to make this possible. A radio station is needed, and then the Space Brothers will come in and give us the help that this Earth so badly needs. Will you help back this work up? Buck Nelson. UFO might just as well stand for unprecedented financial opportunity. I I know 50, 60, 70 years ago was a different time, but I can never hear the phrase love offering without thinking of grifting tele-evangelists from my 1980s youth. So something sticks out to me here, and it might have struck you as well. I, I might have telegraphed it with my, my tone of voice to sort of reflect the subject matter. But uh, they're building a camp where saucer people can come and camp and be here in the last dark days in time of need. I, this is, this is a bit more grim than I had expected from Buck Nelson. Um, and I'm going to have to work that phrase last dark days and time of need and into various parts of the podcast in the future, unless I forget to do so. I do like the fact that they, the space brothers will not come and help us apparently until a radio station is built. Um, I I don't know. There's lots of radio stations on Earth. I guess they need one on that hill in Texas County, Missouri. Uh, that that's how they they will have the go ahead to intervene. Now, there's no indication that uh, that this ever amounted to anything. Um, every report I've seen indicates that year on year attendance for. Buck Nelson spacecraft convention was continually on a a downward trajectory, um, which which kind of reflects the, the the changing tastes in in ufology as well as as, as well as I, I think maybe the the growing array of of saucer meetings. There were more things going on all over. Buck Nelson's convention was never a giant rock. It was not a Midwest giant rock. And I don't think anybody's ever claimed that, but it, it, it was always a, a smaller affair, except maybe that first year in 58 when lots of varying reports, but a number of those reports indicate that attendance was, was around at least in the thousands, um, with, with some saying, you know, hundreds, but, um, I don't know, but, what we do know is that it was big and then it gradually, gradually got smaller. This convention booklet is is strange. There's these excerpts of of articles and write-ups from other people, but then there's like whole pages where there's just 
a paragraph sort of in the middle where Buck will talk about something, including the fact that that famous picture that you've probably seen of Buck holding his sign saying spacecraft convention with the S backwards, it'll, it'll be up on our social media if, if you haven't seen it. Um, that picture with a little caption that was really pretty straightforward and pulled from the UPI report. The caption read, Buck Nelson, 63, a bachelor farmer, welcomes delegates to the nation's annual spacecraft convention at his farm in Mountain View, North Carolina. Nelson claims not only to have seen flying saucers, but to have made several trips himself to Mars, Venus, and the moon during the past four years. So, you know, not not a bad caption, actually. Although the headline, Step Aside Buck Rogers, is a little bit uh, snarky. But this caption was published in the uh, the Stars and Stripes newspaper that goes out to, uh, to, to members of the armed forces. And uh, Buck talked about this and, um, and seemed pretty proud of it. As far as I know, I'm the only contactee that has been written up publicly, printing my picture, telling part of my story, and telling of my convention in a government paper, the Stars and Stripes. I received a letter from Paris, France, the letterhead reading, Supreme Headquarters, Allied Powers, Europe, Paris, France. The letter was sent to me by specialist Leighton Moffat, and he says, Our popular paper, the Stars and Stripes, carried the enclosed picture of you in this morning's edition. I was very proud to receive this picture that appeared in the Stars and Stripes from a serviceman in France. So I guess a government paper has sent my name and picture and what I am doing to many countries of the world. So that's a nice little plug for Buck. Nice little little ego boost there. So getting, just sort of finishing up, getting to the point where we finish up looking at this convention booklet, there's a lot of space given over to repetitive announcements that there will in fact be a flying saucer convention at Bucks Mountain View Ranch the last weekend of June every year. He wants lecturers. He wants riding clubs, harness horses, trick horses, concessions. He wants people to come and, you know, help him uh, help him make money at these flying saucer conventions. Um, there's also somebody selling uh, selling stickers. I think it's Bucks because um, you write to Bucks, Buck for it. You um, also can join Bucks Flying Saucer Club. Uh, you can um, get a copy of it, or you can get a pencil printed with flying saucers or real for 10 cents or three for a quarter. Ballpoint pens that say flying saucers are real, 25 cents available also from Buck Nelson. We have um, a plea for uh, your research, photographs, clippings. Uh, send them in with permission to publish. None can be returned. Send to Buck's Mountain View Ranch. Uh, Buck also runs a tape recording service, and if you're interested in tape recordings of, quote, good gospel music, UFO lectures, space music, and messages, you can write to Buck. This is well on the road to being a, a, a very carnival atmosphere, almost at a carny atmosphere, but no, that, that's, that's kind of pejorative to, uh, to, to those who are, who are carnival workers who entertained me and, and many children back in the day. But um, – this isn't just a humble farmer um, who you know has a story to tell. This is this is somebody who sees an opportunity to turn 
his story into an event and his event into a revenue stream with merchandise and an ever-widening web of, of contacts and connections. It is, in fact, very, very, very of a piece with modern ufology. And I, I find it absolutely charming and fascinating. And if, if you want to you know, point a finger at Buck Nelson and say, ah, he was just in it for the money. Yeah, those uh, those 10 cent pencils are really, really going to go a long way. And yes, I am aware that somebody gave him a typewriter at some point. But Buck Nelson was, from all descriptions in newspapers, living in what he called a ranch, but was really a ridge farm with a hand-built shack. Uh, this was not a man living the high life. This was a man living in in, in a you know, reasonable degree of, of rural poverty, even by the standards of the 1950s and 60s. If you like The Saucer Life and you want more, you can support us in exchange for bonus content. Patrons get the episodes before everybody else. There's a few pieces of bonus content every month. And right now there's a lot of stuff up there related to this recent trip to Missouri. And it's less edited form uh, than you may be seeing it in the future. If you're interested, you can check it out at patreon.com slash chizomedia or follow the link in the show notes. You can check out past episodes at saucerlife.com or your favorite podcast app. And as always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife. And you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can also contact us by post at chizomedia PO Box 68 Grand Blank, Michigan, 48480. We did have some feedback from our Zine Scene episode about California Magazine number two. Um, Lester writes, California UFO Magazine sounds pretty interesting. I love all the woo, even if I don't believe it. Could you compare the different magazines you've discussed? Is there more woo in the Weekly World News or Californication UFO? One friend used to sprinkle letters from WWN advertisers with holy water. The trip to Missouri and Buck Nelson country sounds great. I hope there's a statue of Bo the Space Dog. There is not actually a statue of Bo the Space Dog. And um, I, I did notice there really isn't much, any, any public commemoration of Buck at all. Um, as far as the uh, the different the different magazines go, I, I think UFO Magazine or California UFO Magazine, soon to be UFO Magazine, tried to position itself – it was on its way to positioning itself as sort of the the U, the journal of UFO record for the people. Unlike the MUFON journal, you you couldn't pick it. You could pick it up at a newsstand. Um, it, it's you know it's, it would be a major newsstand magazine. I, I think other magazines, whether they're the more DIY zine style or newsletter sort of thing, um, which I know aren't exactly the same thing. They tended to be more focused, um, a little more concise. Other glossy magazines that would come later usually tried to position themselves as being unlike UFO magazine. I think um, the four issues that were published of um, Stuart Miller, was that his name? Uh, Alien Worlds out of the UK. I think uh, Alien Worlds tended to be um, – sort of position itself as as an alternative to the more mainstream mainstream 
UFO magazine. I also think that, um, speaking of Britain, uh, Flying Saucer Review um, was uh, sort of sort of angled itself more as a um, more as a, a very serious, um, very serious looking thing, which UFO magazine would would try to do, but not always be successful. A commenter at the website says, as a Peruvian-American listener of The Saucer Life, I have to admit I was pleased to learn that my ancestors had an age. Um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Wiracusha was depicted by the Spaniards as a white man, which makes sense considering he is, of course, a Palladian or perhaps a Plajaran, agent of Ashtar Command. As he mentioned building empires, he must have been talking of one of the two empires that existed in what is now modern-day Peru, namely the Wari Empire and the Inca Empire. It's too bad he did not provide much help in the case of the latter, as I'm sure the Spanish conquistadors would have been no match for Munca slash Wiracusha's lightships. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen some intervention there from um, the the Guardian fleet. Uh, but of course, you know, they don't intervene except for the times they do. If only somebody would build a radio station in Missouri, they could step in. Uh, Red Pill Junkie commenting at the website uh, notes that the mention of the cinnamon smell in that contactee story, uh, quote, immediately reminded me of Whitley Strieber's communion and the scene in which he, is, he asked one of his captors to smell them in order to get an anchor to reality. In that book, Strieber described the smell emanating from the entity as a mix between cardboard and a subtle cinnamon overtone. And of course, if we're going to talk about UFO encounters and smells, we're obliged to cite Joshua Cutchin's seminal The Broomstone Deceit, uh, where he mentions that cinnamon is one of the most common odors reported in alien abductions, especially in the UK, according to Jenny Randalls. Yes, um, I, I was... I. I I should have looked up cinnamon in uh, in my copy of Brimstone Deceit. I'm sure I would have seen all those uh, all those references. And yeah, it's um it is a it is a great book. And I I don't know if I necessarily recall cinnamon from from various reading I've done, but I know there's always some kind of some kind of aroma of some kind that not always but often some kind of aroma um, that uh, that people notice. All right, let's get back to uh, following up the mystery. Of Buck Nelson. So now let's get into some of the other material, the biographical material that the team at the State Historical Society of Missouri had uncovered. Um, as far as they can tell, his date of birth was April 9th, 1895, in Colorado, but that's one of several options. They've got some records there, and there, there's some some things I uh, I look through as well um, on the internet. Um, this is largely public records, but there's some things that I hadn't gotten hold of. So, born in 1895 in Colorado, by 1940, which is the next glimpse I was able to find of him, or anybody else apparently. Um, according to the U.S. Census, he's living in Riverside, California, and his birthplace is listed as Iowa. Okay, so why do we see Colorado there? Because, I mean, I looked at pr all you know previous census records, didn't really come up with anything, birth records couldn't come up with anything, but there is his draft card. Now, this draft registration card was from um, 
the Second World War, and it is f- for men born on or after April 28th, 1877, and on or before February 16th, 1897. So he is at the very end of the the age group for um, for people who have to fill this out. And this is a, a card for you know, the selective service. It, it, the World War II was huge, right? So this is a, a pretty big thing. But here we have Buck Nelson, 5075 Dewey Avenue, Riverside, California, same as in 1940. Age 47, date of birth, April 9th, 1895, place of birth, Denver, Colorado. He is working at the time at March Field for the WPA, the Works Progress Administration, which was a, uh, a New Deal program to provide um, work usually in construction, infrastructure, those sorts of things. Um, March Field was an airfield that was being refurbished and updated for use in World War II. Now, the interesting thing about this draft card, and it isn't just me who thinks this is interesting. The, the copy that was at the, uh, the, the archive had this highlighted, and I talked to the coordinator about this because it's, it's fascinating. Name and address of person who will always know your address. Basically, next of kin or as close to it as you can get is what that means. Buck Nelson says, none, and then in parenthesis, has no memory. And the coordinator, Kathleen, said that she has seen a lot of draft registration cards in her work, and and she has never seen anything that is like that. There's lots of stuff where they might say, there's no one, or just my landlady, or something like that, but has no memory. It's very strange. And my my instinct at the time was, you know, this is somebody who's sort of I'm not going to say not going to say they're they're trying to run a scam or they're a con artist or anything, but th- this is something some, somebody who wants to to sort of get away from their past in uh, in a in a pretty significant way. You know, there's 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 nobody else. There's just me. So in official records, what we have next is the 1950 census census where he has bought land in Missouri, his, his farm in Missouri. Why? How? How do we get from here to there? That's, that's what I want to know. And so I went onto the internet trying to find some trace of what Buck Nelson was doing between 1942 and 1950. And where he uh, where he was doing it, um, so I went to newspapers.com and I did some searches in various places for Buck Nelson. And let me tell you, there are a whole bunch of people named Buck Nelson in the 1940s and 50s, at least in California and um, and and Missouri. 
So, for example, there is a, a, I think, a technical sergeant, Buck Nelson, who was in several society columns and, you know, visiting various relatives, home on leave. There was – and this – I got excited about this. There was a, um, a dead body found, apparently a suicide, reported to the police by Buck Nelson. And I was like, ooh, this is – this is interesting, but but this Buck Nelson was an elderly African-American gentleman, so not our Buck Nelson. And then there's the fact that there were apparently a number of high school athletes named Buck Nelson, um, including Missoula, Montana, and I think one in um, Wisconsin during the 1940s. So it was difficult to find anything about Buck Nelson, but I our Buck Nelson, or who I assume is our Buck Nelson. But I did find something interesting, and that is um, oh, one thing that confu- – oh, this is another thing that confused me. Uh, the Mexico Ledger from Mexico, Missouri um, said that uh, there's a big ad for a, um, a, a big uh, Pearl Motor Company, their auto service department. And the manager of the service department was Buck Nelson. Uh, who'd been there for 12 years. So not our Buck Nelson, the, the times don't add up. In, in 1940, our Buck Nelson was in California, but just way more people named Buck Nelson than you would expect. In any case, in any case, by the time we get to the 1950 census, like I said, Buck Nelson was in Missouri on his farm, head of household. Here, he gives his birthplace as Colorado. So that 1940 census report saying that he was born in Iowa is kind of um, kind of erroneous, but all of this does help link up the evidence. So we have a Buck Nelson in Riverside, California at this date. That Buck Nelson, though he says his birthplace is Iowa, later says a Buck Nelson at the same address says his birthplace was Colorado. Next, we have a Buck Nelson in 1950. The age is consistent with an age of 18 with an age of someone born in 1895 says his birthplace is Colorado, which convinces me that the Buck Nelson of 1940 and the Buck Nelson of 1950 are the same person, which sounds like a completely sort of obvious thing to say. If you haven't seen as many different people named Buck Nelson as I have. So what else did I find? Well, in 1942, May of 1942, in the San Bernardino County Sun, there is a classified ad. One half acre, small house, outbuildings, chicken fenced, $550, $100 down, balance, easy payments. Buck Nelson, 5075 Dewey Avenue, Riverside. Okay, so we've got Buck Nelson selling a house in Riverside in 1942. In that same newspaper, the San Bernardino County Sun, two years later, May 6th, 1945, we have this story. A small boy, the younger son of Mr. and Mrs. Buck Nelson, was reported to have been seriously injured Friday afternoon by being struck down by a commercial truck on Baseline near San Francisco Street little fellow had been to a store across the street. It is said he had crossed back and was almost to his own yard when the accident occurred. Dr. Lester Janke was called, and he had the child moved to St. Bernardine Hospital, where he was found to be suffering from cerebral injury. The child was reported to have been unconscious when picked up, 
and he was still in a coma late Friday afternoon. So somewhere along the line, if this if this article is about our Buck Nelson, but the ad in the other issue of the same newspaper was our Buck Nelson, I'm almost entirely certain. Where did the wife and children come from? Because I haven't seen any reference to that. Buck Nelson is always the bachelor farmer living on the Ridge Farm. What happened to Buck between 1940 and 1950? Um, That is something I am still looking at. We will have updates um, to come. But uh, there's more to this guy's life than meets the eye. And I think this is a fascinating story. I was was talking to the coordinator there at the Historical Society. and, And this all seems like a much more interesting story than just the flying saucer stuff, which is super interesting in its own right. But but there's this deeper history of the man that we're trying to put together through public records and newspapers, and it's difficult. But I've I've got some potential people to talk to, uh, possibly, and um, we'll see we'll see where this goes. Um, I I've got to be in my bonnet about Buck Nelson now. And uh, it looks like this is going to be a two-part episode uh, because I really want to get into the Piedmont Lights and the Cape Girardeau uh, UFO crash and, uh, and, and, and what's going on in Marley Woods for that second non-Buck Nelson part of my trip. So we'll conclude this episode with, um, with finding Buck's place. I, I made it out to Buck's place. I followed the map. Uh, sort of, sort of overlaid it, kind of next to Google Maps, and I, I drove out through the very hilly, very curvy roads of Missouri, which is, um, which is so much fun, so much more fun than the very flat roads where I live now. And I, I was, I found Highway NN or Double N. I'm not sure what they call it. I turned left on it, and I drove north on NN. And as I drove and drove and drove, it became very clear that um, I had no scale based on that map. I had no idea what the distance was between these places. And then I saw the Texas County line. And I knew that his place was on the left side of road NN, right over the Texas County line. Now, I know from newspaper reports that Buck's house burned down in, I believe, 1968. Um, so that was really the end of the events there. Um, that house was gone. I, I knew there wouldn't be anything existing still from there. But as I, I looked at it, um, a, a couple of, of small houses, uh, one, one smallish house, um, a garage, uh, a mobile home. And uh, I, I pulled in and I sort of looked around and I saw a lot of no trespassing signs and a lot of uh, – or a sign that says, you know, smile, you're on camera. I have a feeling there might have been some flying saucer people poking around at previous times. I had no desire to bother anybody who lived there. Um, I – why? Did you know that like – 65 years ago, people used to camp here and talk about flying saucers. Sir, get off my property. Um, 
but I, I did I did sort of sort of look around, drive by a couple times, and on one of the drive bys, I realized another good reason not to get out of the car and try to talk to anybody. Um, the five or six large growling, angry dogs, sort of running into the road and chasing my car um, as I drove by, kind of uh, kind of dissuaded me. So. I found Buck's place, and 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 as we as we close this episode, just to and and before next time when we get into uh, other um, well-known events in in Missouri, uh, the locations of which I I checked out. Who cares? Um, why? Why? Why do I even care to to go to these places? Um, it, it sounds kind of strange, but. I, I just like to get a feel for the landscape of the area, to, to be in a place where these things might have happened, where people had these experiences, whether it's a giant space dog or or not. But the experience of gathering and talking about these things, to see what it would have looked like over one of those ridges looking out over a pasture um, that was probably more heavily wooded in 1958 or 1959 than it is now. But to imagine what the road would have been like for the cars making their way there, and and several of the newspaper stories about the uh, the convention talk about the bad roads at the time, um, just just to sort of look at it and think, wow, this is where something that was an important event took place. I like that. I like connecting the events to the geography. I don't know if it's because I'm a visual learner or something, but it was neat. And it was neat to go to Cape Girardeau and it was neat to go to Piedmont and it was neat to go to the Marley Woods region in Oregon County, Missouri, as we will talk about next time. My sincere thanks and appreciation to the Rolla Research Center of the State Historical Society of Missouri and uh, Kathleen, the coordinator there, for her amazing help and good conversation about Buck Nelson. Thanks for listening. Send in any questions and comments via the usual social media or email channels, and we'll be addressing those next time. Our associate producer is Simpson J. Hanover III, who did not have enough vacation time to come on this road trip with me, which is a bummer. And The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media, LLC. Chizo Media, our heart is with the people. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. <laughs>